You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your fearless leader, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by my hosts, Sean and Rick. How are you guys doing? How do you do? What's up, nerds? On this episode, we were going to talk about the critical path and what that means in regard to marketing, in regard to really just, you know, your, your entire project, you should know what the critical path concept is and how to apply it to your, to your work life, it, regardless of if that's in marketing or not, but you know, we're going to use it all sorts of marketing stuff as uh, you know, later in this podcast, but first we're going to get into some news, Richard, do the thing. <laughs> I can't do it anymore. We're gonna have to put it. We're gonna have to put like some kind of actual audio in here eventually. Maybe we should pay somebody on Fiverr to do that. If you're listening to this, you want to volunteer yourself? I'll, 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 yeah, I'll get, I'll get us a professional voiceover on Fiverr. We'll be good. We'll have next, next episode. We'll be all set. Oh, but until good. then, it's time for nerd news. So while I'm in a good mood right now, let's talk about this lovely MMORPG I found that funded in. <laughs> <laughs> it's like funded on the first day and you <laughs> anyway sorry somebody's mom oh. invested a lot of money into this <laughs> so mmorpgs lately have gotten a bad rap on kickstarter and there's many reasons why it's people put in millions and millions of dollars in these things and then they never come out i mean there's there's been a, quite a few of them that you know they're all concept and what's the, what's the what's that big one uh squat no What's the one that's been worked on for like Star the last Citizen. 10 years? Star Citizen. Yeah, Star Citizen. It's been like worked on for like the last 10 years. They've had like five different rounds of funding, millions and millions, and they're still, I mean, you could play some of the game now, I guess. Um, I get update. I still get email updates from, from them occasionally. So I guess they've got something going on. But then there's been quite a few that I've seen where they've received money and then they throw out this quick little alpha beta prototype that looks nothing like what they had in their concept art. And then like a month later, it's like, sorry, we're closing because we ran out of money. So MMORPGs have been getting the the bad rap. And I mean, I agree because a lot of them, they've just been failing. They take your money and run. And either it's due to bad management or just the, you know, they, the concept just wasn't, you know, feasible to do or, you know, there's many reasons. And it's, you know, it's very technical. However, um, this MMORPG just came out on Kickstarter. And I'm like, I saw the articles all. It funded on the first day. I'm like, oh, man. So of course I had to check it out. Well, their their funding budget is a whopping ten thousand dollars. What can you make with ten thousand dollars? I mean, but then when you look at the screenshots of it, well, maybe that's what you make. It's called uh, Gen Fanad. If I said it right, I don't know if I said it right. I'm sorry, um, Gen Fanad. Um, they call it a retro style MMORPG, and when I look at it, you know, we were we were laughing about this earlier. Retro sort of means like you know we didn't have a budget for it and we didn't want to make it look nice or put the effort into it and so we're gonna call it retro so um it looks retro like, means uh, terrible. <laughs> yeah it looks like sort of like a runescape uh ish you know like old school ultima well no it's a little better than ultima it looks a little better ultima but anyway i was just laughing because like 10 for animated spells you do not get animated spells <laughs> Anyway, I'm like, first of all, I'm like, well, I don't think this game's going to happen for 10000 But they actually have like an alpha or beta version out that's playing right now. So I guess maybe that's why they fund it because people actually saw something. You know, animated spells, I would, I mean, I 
maybe I've been spoiled, but my spells have always been animated, uh, <laughs> except in real life when I'm like slapping a card down. I have to make my own animations. Um, I mean, really half the fun to be fair, that. this game looks better than any video game I've made. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it's also better than any video game I've made, but mine are all text based. So, I mean, any graphic would beat mine. But I mean, retro these days, when I think retro, I'm thinking World of Warcraft. I mean, we're, how long, how old is World of Warcraft these days? It's 20 something years old, right? 18, I mean, 18 years old. Yeah, it's almost 20 years old. And when I'm thinking retro, I think that. So, like, when I'm looking at this, I mean, it doesn't look like no Warcraft to me. Like I said, this looks like Ultima Online. It's hit RuneScape. This is like 40 <laughs> years ago retro, <laughs> or 30 years ago retro, sorry. Pretty crazy. There are 14 uh, luminaries that, that that's a $249 pledge level for a luminary. You get a lifetime subscription and 12 month uh, months worth of gift subscriptions and... You get to reserve your character name and for four characters, which is kind of a big deal. I mean, have you ever been to a, a, like an MMO launch or maybe, a, you know, a new server that's coming out and then you've tried to get your character's name? Have you guys ever experienced that before? Yeah, but those are games that actually have players. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm like, you know, freaking out to get my character's name. And I've got like, you know, 12 names on a list and I'm going to reserve every single one of them immediately. <laughs> And, you know, I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but that's kind of awesome. I mean, if I wanted to play this, I would possibly be one of the suckers that would buy a $250 pledge. Or, or I mean, I wouldn't call them suckers. I mean, they're if they're really into the game, then good for them. I'm just, yeah. you know, it's not a bad game. I mean, at least from what I can see, um, they're very uh, health conscious because you trade a lot of fruits and vegetables, apparently, according to the screenshots I've seen. But mm -hmm. Yeah, it, you know, if, if you really like it, yeah, go for it. Pay it. I just sort of, like I said, the only reason why this came up in the news today is because I saw it. And I'm like, oh, no, not another MMO that's going to fail. But you know what, what I'll say kind of impresses me about this is that they were able to raise 12000 almost $13,000. And I, might, I would wager that they do have some seriously hardcore fans. You know, they, they had somebody buy the whale, which is the $2,500 pledge tier. That was only only one was... was uh, available and they had a couple of people buy the a thousand dollar pledge tier two people and then two more buy a 500 hundred dollar pledge tier and then 14 people paid for that 250 dollar pledge tier Ooh. and that Dedication. is you know it's interesting well i find that you know games like league of legends which is a free to play you know free to play game that's like this massive cash cow um hearthstone other other games like that that are all free to play uh, there are a lot of MMOs that are going free-to-play as well. Guild Wars is, uh, 2 is one that I got super into. I spent more money on Guild Wars 2 than any other, like, by far, any other game that I played. And I played World of Warcraft for 10 straight years with my subscription running the whole time. And I, I think that giving people stuff to buy that either, you know, like I remember in Guild Wars, you could, you had these various harvesting implements for like you had a pickaxe for uh mining and a little scythe for you know harvesting plants and and things like that which you needed for your uh, crafting and if you spent 10 bucks you could get one that was like infinite that would never run out or for like you know whatever 100 in-game gold you could buy one that had like a stack of 50 of those things so it was just a little minor annoyance 
that I was like, yeah, I'll pay $10 to solve that minor annoyance. It was a problem that they created for me and they suckered me out of $10. I do feel like a sucker. What I mean, what it goes to show you is that you can find fans for anything if you if you work, you know, if you work at it. I mean, it's kind of funny that, you know, we make fun of the uh, this really crudely done MMO, probably a team of one, maybe a team of three people that are just doing it, uh, you know, on the side for fun and, and that sort of thing. It certainly is going to be an amazing bit to add to their resume. Like, hey, yeah, we built an MMO and cultivated a little fan base and here it is. I mean, that was- it's actually, it's a great accomplishment. So. Yeah, it'll get you a job for sure. Paying. Uh, yeah, all, all jokes aside, they actually made the game. It's actually yeah. been made, and they actually yeah. have it on Kickstarter. So hey, you know. <laughs> yeah, so they're kind of a, a little bit ahead of us. So anyway, I guess uh, you know we don't want to dunk on those guys too hard, but because because they actually made a thing that you can play. Yeah, right it now. looks like a passionate little project. In fact, I might I might check it out and play it myself. <laughs> well, it is New Blandia. I would figure that you would already be like. <laughs> but one thing i am seeing is that if you go if you go to the page they're telling people to uh, add the game to a wish list on steam i'm finding a lot of games are now doing this on steam and it's it's actually very similar to kickstarter or game found where if you follow the project add to a wish list you then get game updates and that's one way they're sort of building community and sending game updates before the project project is released so it's interesting that we're starting to see crowdfunding marketing mechanics and elements now be ported into steam and i think that it's going to start we're going to start seeing more and more of this in fact for my new segment i want to talk about two games both are the personal projects of two triple a titled game developers that worked on uh, valve games so the portal 2 the half-life series and the left 4 dead series the first one is how do i pronounce this the Anna, Anna Cruzus. Anna Cruzus. First thing I'd say is change the name. <laughs> so the Anna Cruzus, which it looks like a really, really cool game. It's set sort of in the 1950s, 1960s on a spaceship. And you're, it's, it's sort of like a mix between Left 4 Dead 2 and kind of like Portal. Kind of has that vibe. And you're on a, spa- on a spaceship working together fighting aliens. Looks really cool. It's an early, early access and it's created by Chet Felzek, who was a former writer for Valve, and also by Kimberly Vol, who was a former Riot Games, uh, I think project manager, if, if I if I'm mistaken. So you have you know two big name people coming together creating this game, and it's in early access on Steam, and they're pretty much building it with the community. Like the first, if you go to their their Steam page, the first thing you're met with is join our Discord. So they have a very active Discord, and they are actively developing this game with their community. So very, very similar to what we're seeing in the board game industry where people don't just release a game and then build a community. They're building a community community with the development. So they're, de- they're actively developing the game with the community feedback. And I, I checked out their Discord. It's a pretty um, a hefty space. You know, they've got a lot, lot going on in there. Very active community. Um, so it's interesting that, that we're seeing this happen in the, the video game space as well. And I think we're going to see more and more of this. Obviously, you know, Fractured Veil was one of our clients and they they tried this. It's It's been successful for them. So I think people are just going to start imitating and, and copying this. And then the other project I, I had, which is also created by a, a staff member of Valve, a former staff member of Valve, which is a game called Zero Page. Actually, I think, Richard, you'd probably be interested in this. It's basically a Mac, a Mac 2, Mac 2 computer emulator in a video game. 
<laughs> and uh, likewise, it's by Josh Weezer, who is the project lead on Portal 2. Yeah, it's a game where it's a very simple one-player game where you're using this Mac computer on, and you're trying to uncover this. It's very similar to Mist, where you know, you're know you kind of searching through the world, trying to figure out what happened, and the story develops as you tinker with this Mac computer. So that that looks like a really interesting project. Uh, I know that there's something similar there, where he's you know, in the process of capturing emails and, and building this game. But this looks like a really neat project, and I'm excited to see how uh, the, both of these games develop over time as the communities grow. Oh, that's an Apple II. Apple II is oh, really wrong, Apple man. What did, I, what yeah. did I say? Did I say Apple II? Oh, you said Mac II. I was trying oh, to Mac think. Okay. Mac, Mac had a couple offshoots like the Lisa that didn't do very well. But yeah, Dude, same I, company, Apple. I was um, seven, and I started graphic design on the Apple IIe. That was my favorite computer. Back oh, in the man. The green screen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah romanticizing what was probably a terrible experience back in the day but yeah you, i mean you, i played you, a lot of oregon trail on it i, I was just gonna say oregon trail was like the main game on there yeah <laughs> all about played oregon, trail. Lake, oregon trail and then of oh, course man. the school would try to educate you and put like games like math m- number m- number munchers and <laughs> things like that but um yeah. yeah uh there's actually a lot of not only newer companies but older companies are also moving into steam as well here's another text-based online game <laughs> it's, it's called a mud multi-user dungeon Back in the days, uh, in the 90s, it, they were pretty big. You have to use a special Telnet connection to play these games. You just can't go on the internet and play them. I mean, these days, the ones that have been around forever actually have a new interface where you can play. But the idea is you you get a dummy terminal, you connect to this thing, and it's like a little server, and you play you play a text game with other people. Well, this this one one of the MUDs called BatMUD, not related to Batman, Bat Mud, they decided they wanted to get more of an audience on their game because their game's been around for 30 years and you know the player base is like shot because no one goes on Telnet. No one, no, everyone's on their phone or they're on an internet browser. They're not using special software to to play stuff unless it's something really, really new and good. Or they're trying to hide from the government. Yeah. <laughs> Shh, don't tell them my secrets. Anyway, they made their own terminal, like Telnet terminal, um, that you launch on your PC, and they made a special one. So that way they can have, because Steam, you have to have some kind of software. So they made it to put it on Steam, to advertise their game on Steam, and they'd sell it for like $5. Like their special terminal that does nothing. For $5, it just connects you to their game. And they've been doing very well. It's brought in a whole bunch of new a new audience that don't know what MUDs are. It, um, the, you know, the Steam's got great discussion forums. It's got great voting. And like you said, it's a community. So it's been able, they were able to create a community using the steam platform to bring in more people and to, to, you know, to bring back interest in the, in this, this 30 year old game. Yeah. You know, really, I guess the whole concept of steam, you know, wishlisting and, and whatnot. I mean, that's very interesting. I think that we'll probably have a, you know, a lot more work to do for clients like this in the near future. I think um, so. We have a potential client who wants us to help sell one of their games on Steam. So I did some research into the platform and its algorithm is very similar to Kickstarter's in that it has all these data points in which it then suggests projects for people to to purchase. So it looks at like your playtime, what games are in your library, what games are in your friend's library. And then it, it has like everything's catered to the user's experience. And a lot of work has gone into the the Steam store. In fact, I'd actually make a great case study of just like studying the Steam store because Steam is the biggest, probably one of the biggest online stores in the world at selling video games. And they've obviously done a lot of research into crafting their store page. So there'd be one worth 
like looking into. They're definitely like the, I, I call them the Amazon of video games. Like literally it's like going to like an Amazon shopping experience. You get on there, um, you make your wish list for the games you want. It'll notify you when they go on sale or if something happens. Um, like you said, you con- consistently get, I can consistently get bombarded with suggestions for different games and they're all actually good suggestions. I just don't have the budget to spend, you know, thousands of dollars on games every week, but um, it works out. And yeah, it's like, it's, it's a very good platform. And it was originally, you know, a platform to connect, you know, people to games. And now it's become more of a marketing platform, I think. And I think a lot of people are going to start switching over to Steam just for marketing their their upcoming product. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, there's this concept that's just proven time and time again in marketing that people don't like being sold to, but they love to buy stuff. In general, they want to know that this product will be right for them before that before they're sold to, really. Um, but when, as soon as they know that this product is something that they would like, sell to them all day, they will appreciate it. And so, you know, you see at conventions, for example, you know, uh, people walking around looking at booths. I, you know, sometimes I, I, when I was at a convention with Deliverance, this is, you know, back in like 2020, 2019, I did a lot of conventions for Deliverance. And there were people that I would see five or six times that would circle and get slightly closer each one of those times eventually you know they would they would talk to me and then we'd spend you know 30 minutes and they would be so excited and and all of that at the end but people are really they just are so you know they don't want that you know if if let's say somebody is shopping for clothes one of the store employees walks up and says can i help you with anything what do we always say no i'm just looking right and because we don't want them to, you know, point us to a bunch of stuff that we don't need or whatever. Right. I mean, target is the worst. You walk in needing one thing and then you walk out with like 18 things like, yeah, I uh, probably shouldn't have walked in this store, you know, on steam, people are not feeling sold to because they're all gamers and steam is doing a really, really good job of showing people things they like. Google is the same way. And for that matter, Amazon is too. These are are e-commerce platforms that are that monetize themselves by getting you to buy more than one thing, really. And Google, you know, search for more than one thing, right? If you had a poor experience at any one of these places, if Google gave you the, you know, just terrible results and you could never find what you wanted on Google, then you would use another search engine, which uh, funny enough is why Google is less powerful politically this year than it was four years ago because a group of people couldn't find things they were looking for. Right. And that's, you know, the rise of DuckDuckGo and, and other search engines like Bing are kind of making a little bit of of a recovery because of things like that. Um, (laughs) Weird. Right. And then, um, you know, and brave of course. So, you know, for the most part, these companies thrive based upon users being satisfied and, they are satisfied only when you make items custom tailored to them and their interests. So if they play a lot of first person shooters and you give them Apex Legends as an example of something that they might wanna wanna try, then they'll like you for that. But if they're into FPS games and you give them like My Little Pony, um, they unless it's a, unless it's a first person shooter, they probably won't appreciate that at all. I can see that selling My Little Pony, yeah. FPS. <laughs> Like, it's really gory. Oh my goodness! I that mean, you be... could you could buy My Little Pony AKs, shoot rainbows, know, and blast like dudes apart. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, shooting lasers through your horn or something. Just it all goes back to the the good old days of sharing is caring. Um, I don't know if you guys remember shareware software and things like that. You oh, know, yeah. this is back before we had. So it's like Diablo One on. <clears throat> well, people were you know when the computers you know were more newer and it was becoming more of is more of a hobby. People so would. People would, yeah, Napster was a bad one. <laughs> People would take Bizarre. programs or games that they liked and they would share them with each other, you know, paying the person who, they didn't pay the author for the software. They just gave it to all their friends and stuff. And it's funny because one, a couple people came up with this idea that, well, since they're going to trade it around anyway, we might as well just, you know, ask for something. So that's where the shareware concept came in, where <clears throat> these couple of authors knew that their, their software is going to be passed around without them getting money for it. So instead of charging for it, they're like, it's, it's, it's free, but if you like it, send us some money. And um, there's two of them that uh, made separate products that were sort of similar, and they got together and said, you know, we'll sell them at the same price. That way, if, you know, people can, if they want to pay us, it's, it's pretty even. And it was a $25 software. I think it was like some kind of directory thing for DOS or something like that. Some of them. Anyway, they, they weren't expecting to make much. Cause you know, it's like, you don't have to pay it. It's free. You know, and if you want to pay it, then you pay it. And the, <laughs> they have both made over a million dollars each mm. on the shareware mm. concept where they gave away their software and said, if you really like it, support us. Otherwise have a nice day. That's like $900 million by today's money. <laughs> Sometimes I do fear for independent video game creators, because how are you supposed to stand out? and compete against AAA titles who have free-to-play games. Why should I play your game when I can play this game for free, which has, you know, huge following, lots of development behind it. So it's 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 very challenging. I find the same thing with YouTube. Like, how are you supposed to, you know, create video content, make it profitable when you have all these people creating content for free on the platform and they release content regularly that's high high production, high, high quality. So it's, right. it's, it's challenging to stand out these days on the internet for sure. What you do is you lower the quality and then you slap the label retro on it. And then you'll be like, make millions of dollars. You know what I was told by um, uh, a mentor of mine, I guess. So back, I want to say 12 or more years ago, I got into a a multi-level marketing company uh, uh, 13 years ago. And I got really into it, tried to make the business work. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, like every like every young twenty something, I yeah. So it was it was called uh, Market America. Actually, interestingly enough, that is what led me to this path where I just decided, you know, I, I started selling websites and that kind of thing. This was a thing you could do to businesses, and um, I just was very profitable selling websites without recruiting people, and. It was like, well, I'd rather sell websites than, you know, a $50 bottle of vitamins. I'd rather sell a $1,500 website, right? And uh, so I kind of went that route and eventually was like, people aren't buying the company, they're buying me. And I uh, branded myself and eventually hired somebody to do websites and and so on. But, um, and the rest is history, I guess. But um, initially I... I went to a lot of conventions and I learned a lot of really, really valuable information. You know, whenever you're trying to get somebody to do something to be successful, right? You want to be successful. So you have to recruit other people, get them to sell stuff so that you can be successful. But in the process, if you can kind of duplicate a little bit of yourself into that person, they start selling stuff and they can be successful too, right? They can recruit people and duplicate and that's how these businesses work. Well, it turns out that 
it was really hard to get somebody else to sell four websites a month, you know, but that was a really, really good income and uh, for me at the time. And so I just kind of, you know, straight away from, from uh, trying to recruit people because I just felt like a dirty salesperson sometimes if I felt like there, there's no way this person is going to be able to do what it takes, but I'm trying to recruit them anyway, like a, like a fool. And so I just didn't want to do that. So, but anyway, we went to various conventions and other things like that and listened to like, you know, the multi-million dollar earners speak. And obviously if somebody can make, if, if somebody's worth mid seven or eight figures, then you should listen to them. You know, if they're willing to talk to you and give you advice, right? There was a guy, J.R. Reitinger, who um, was the CEO of that company. He talked about, um, I mean, there were a million things he talked about. I, and now I'm like losing, losing track because- Is this just, the MLM company? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, what was I, where was I going to go with this though? I don't remember. His inspiring speech that made you a millionaire without having to rely on his products. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Um, Standing out in front of others. <laughs> how to scam people and get away with it. I, yes, I remember now. Okay, thank you so much. How to stand out in front of others. Okay. So hopefully out. we can just cut scam out in front of others. Podcast. It was a mental blip that just went. No, I think you should leave it in. Leave it in. <laughs> so the idea is that you want to lead the parade. You don't want to get into the parade at the end of a parade. You want Especially to be in the front. behind those horses. You don't want to be behind the horses. Right. So <laughs> exactly. So when, when you see a trend happening, if, you know, like for example, get jumping on, on YouTube and trying and starting your own video channel and, and that sort of thing, that is something that's been going on for a really, really long time. And while you certainly will be able to leverage that platform and make a name for yourself and, you know, make a lot of money if you're, if you are able to give something that people haven't experienced before, or maybe do the same thing in a new way. Um, I remember, you know, like, well, I mean, even now you've got like slime videos and other types of things like that. You've got Ryan, who, Ryan's world, who did not start at the beginning of YouTube. I mean, that little kid was seven years old, just doing fun stuff with his parents. And now he's like, you know, makes $30 million a year. He's got his own channel on the streaming platforms too. I think it's I think it's either Pluto or Sling or one of yeah. those TV stream platforms. He's got his own channel. Right. Kids kids just crushing it. And yeah, um, I don't think it's, it's child exploitation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his parents are loving it. Probably a conversation for another podcast, but it's it's just one of those things that you know, the kid found a way to do something that people wanted, you know. I think that in the same way we have to look at content creation as uh, you know where if something's been happening along a long way. Like if you're starting a, a channel for reviewing board games, there are other bigger players that are doing it successfully that have established audiences. There are rising stars as well, like Dice Tower would be like super established. Man vs. Meeple, Rado, super established. And then you've got rising stars like Quackalope uh, with Jesse Anderson, who's doing some stuff in in he's reviewing like heavier, more campaign focused games and being very fun and, and, you know, a lot of other uh, things that he's doing, right. But he's really creating a community there. If you can find a way to leverage an existing content platform and do it in a manner that gives people something that they didn't know they needed. Uh, I mean, you're going to crush it, but you know, my suspicion is that, you know, 
just starting something like that right now, I mean, you're not, if you're not doing anything original and different, then you're not going to outshine those that are doing things the same way you're doing, but have been doing it for longer. And if you are doing something original and different, you have to make, well, I guess you have to see if others feel like you're original and different is original, different and better original, different and interesting because it may not be, you know, and that's kind of, I mean, that's one of the scary bits of being a content creator is that yeah. you might find out that nobody likes what it is that you have to say, or that people are not on board with the way that you do things. Yeah. There's when you, when it comes to YouTubers, there's already a video on everything <laughs> it's, it's done, but what, like, like what Andrew's saying is, you know, you're, you're not selling or talking. It's not the outcome, what you're sharing. It's you, you're sharing you and you're selling yourself. Like if, like Andrew was saying, you know, in fact, this is my literal translation of, of, of Andrew's uh, statement. Five minute uh, rant. If you want to be a board game reviewer on YouTube, what you do is you take the board game, you set it up all nice and neat, put it on the table, and then you pour a pitcher of water on it and see if it swims. Now that's going to get views because that's being different, unique, and providing value. <laughs> did, I, did I get that right? Does it float? The board game version. Will it float? Does it blend? It's funny because how many of those board game reviewers actually talk about like what happens if you spill in your board game? I haven't yeah. seen one. This board game so is flame retarded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Flamethrower. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like I'm saying, I know that's very extreme, but like, yeah, you need to find something that other people aren't talking about. And that's like one of them. A lot of those reviews are like picture perfect. They're all like, you know, you live in a sterile, perfect environment when most people who play board games aren't. In fact, there's a lot of people who try to play board games camping. And that could be dangerous as well with winds and, and whatnot. You know, you're out in the, the, the uh, outdoors and maybe that game, the games you bring have to, you know, sort of be a little more stable. So, you know, there's, there's aspects that, that are still out there that you could still find and, reviewed that would make you stand out but yeah the point is you need to stand out but would it be interesting or better right well, if i get my flamethrower i bet you'll be pretty interesting i think people i would be. definitely watch so we're going to give you a little update guys we've been working on this top secret project that one one of our clients knows about because he kind of helped us with it we've been developing a video course to show you a step-by-step -step guide on how to set up your ads how to create your ads, install your pixel, how to basically do what we do, but you do it yourself. And the reason we did this is because some people might, might not be able to invest in our services, but they still want some help. So we want to provide something we can give them. And then also we can only be at one place at one time. So it's a way to sort of multiply ourselves <laughs> and be able to help yeah. more people. So this course is pretty much finished we just need to add some finishing touches to it an intro outro some overlay graphics nothing too fancy so we'll be releasing more information about that in the future but if you want to stay on top of updates and developments of this course you make sure to join our email list which you can do so at the crowdfunding news website and we should be posting we i don't think we've sent any emails out we kind of dropped the ball on that but i'm sure we will be in the future and we certainly will be giving updates on this course. So our plan is that when people join this course, they will have a series of videos to go through. They'll also be able to have a, a comment section where they can ask us questions. And then we're also planning on having a, like a monthly group chat where you can ask your questions as well. So this might be a great opportunity for people who want to market their board games, but might not be in a position where they can invest in our services uh, fully. So 
we'll have more on that in the future. Maybe co- help us think of a cool name. If you have any cool name suggestions, then we can come up with a, a cool name for the course. The cool board game course. Funding on a budget video course. Yes. Blade Master Murder Ninja course for crowd. That was definitely a shameless plug from us. So yeah, let's let's get into our topic at hand then. We wanted to we wanted to well, I suggested covering the critical path which is a methodology where you basically complete things in order of you know whatever is bottlenecking a a, a project. So you you complete tasks in order such that you you finish a project in the shortest possible amount of time. Probably the easiest most relevant thing that I can think of right now is, you know, after we launched our, our Kickstarter for deliverance back in uh, June, 2021, you know, we successfully funded and how, you know, really one of the concerns that I had was how am I going to get the game out in as quick a time frame as possible? I didn't imagine I would be moving across the country in the middle of this time frame, but I, I looked at all the tasks that we needed and was like, okay, you know, number one, we have to finish the art. And what else can we do though? You know, I mean, there's, there's certain things, you know, we have uh, miniatures that we need to get the molds done for. We have the campaign book that we need to, that we need to finish up. We've got uh, playtesting that needs doing. There are a lot of tasks. We have, of course, logistics and fulfillment, you know, shipping these games after manufacturing to, you know, to backers hands and other things after that. So, you know, we have so many different tasks, but you you kind of organize tasks in the order that they need to be done first. So one of the first things we did was we put our miniatures in, you know, in progress. Like I, I paid, it was like $12,600 or something for our molds. And we started that process. That by itself has been, I want to say like eight months of time or nine months maybe, maybe longer to actually get everything up and ready. But we had, you know, we had our 3d modeler create the the mold, the models. We sent those over to our game manufacturer. They, you know, took a long time to finally give us uh, samples. The samples had various errors on it. So we had to kind of uh, go back and forth and, and suggest fixes and changes. And they sent us more samples, you know, that were fixed. We approve those samples and then they make the, or they're starting to machine the actual molds for the, for uh, P- injected PVC, which is going to make the, uh, the production quality miniatures. Then we'll need to get a sample of that and decide if that's good enough or if we need small changes and you know, it's, it's ready to go. Now, if we were to do all of that and then wait until the next thing, it, it would, it would take like nine years to release deliverance, but we're able to do multiple things, of course, at the same time, but that is really, it represents our critical path because it took such a long time. We needed to start that quickly, early. It was super important because if I waited another three months, it would delay shipping by three months. If the miniatures aren't ready, then no matter if everything is fully manufactured, the games are not done. So you know, alongside the manufacturing of these miniatures or, you know, the prepping of these miniatures so that they're ready to be manufactured, uh, mass manufactured, the various print material that, that needs to be finished, 
we need to, in order to do the, the print material, we have to make sure the campaign book is done and so on and so forth. So you can see, so the way that my critical path worked was we start the miniatures right away and the art, you know, we're, we're working on finishing the art at the same time. You know, as, as soon as those tasks are underway and kind of out of my hands, that's when I work on the next thing, right? So you want to have multiple lines of things going at the same time. And eventually it's, you know, all of your mass manufacturing is done. All that kind of that path of, of all of those tasks, you know, narrow niche narrows back down into the one task, which is menu mass manufacturing. So you say, I want to make 5,000 units of this or whatever and they start making it. That's about two months that you can't really do anything. So, I mean, there's maybe a little bit that you can do, but you have other tasks like, for example, locking people's pledge managers, making sure their addresses are correct, lining up your logistics partners so that they're ready to receive this, uh, you know, the manufactured goods, lining up your shipping and whatnot so that you can freight across the country and so on. If you were to line up your shippers and or your, you know, your fulfillment centers like Quartermaster Logistics is going to be ours in the US and others, you know, we've got ShipQuest in the UK and uh, various others. We, if we went ahead and got them all ready and prepped them and neglected the freight, it's going to just sit on the dock or sit in the, you know, our long pack games warehouse in China until the, the actual product is ready to move. So the critical path is, says that freight needs to be handled before final the final fulfillment uh, center needs to be handled. It doesn't mean that you have to do one than the other. It just means that you know when push comes to shove, one of those is more important than the other to get solved. And that will actually, if you fail to you know address this critical path, it 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 means that you're just going to delay your project longer. Now this also applies to marketing. Because, you know, everybody wants to market their project on Facebook. They, they know, oh, I just need to make Facebook ads and direct them toward board gamers or whatever, and we're going to make money. Well, there are a lot of, if you want to do marketing right, there are a lot of tasks just, you know, that you kind of have to line up in a row and you should prioritize certain things over other things. So you could make really awesome looking ads, but you're missing the point if you don't have a really great landing page, right? What's the point of a really great ad and ad text and all of that if you have a terrible landing page? So you guys, you guys know what I, where I'm going with this? Yeah, well, even if your game isn't fully, um, I'd say fully developed, but if your if your game isn't in a state to present to the world yet, you need to do some more game development. Obviously, you want to develop the game as part of your marketing, but I think there's a minimum entry point where you need to have at least something that you can show, <laughs> not just a, an idea on a piece of paper, you know? Sort of reminds me of the, uh, of playing Civilization on the computer. <laughs> you know, your, your goal is to get that rocket to the moon, but there's so many things that you have to figure out and do. And you just, you know, if you did, like you said, if you just did one thing at a time, or if you didn't do the right thing at the right time, then it's going to take you forever to get done. But if you're working on the, the most critical things and the different categories that need to get done to ultimately get you to the moon, then uh, you'll 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 beat your competitors and win the game. Yeah, like farm, like stone is more important to farm than gold, uh, which is more important to farm than like nanotechnology, right? I don't know. It's been a while since I played played Civilization. <laughs> how should you make your list, or how do you determine 
Like what's the most critical thing and how do you like plan it out? For me, I tend to reverse engineer from the time that something is done. What, what happens you're, you're going to Kickstarter or GameFound. You launch the project and you have your kit, your, your campaign, your 30 day campaign or what, however, whatever the length of your campaign is going to be. I reverse engineer from that point and figure out where do we need, you know, how early do we need to begin marketing? So that's one of the very common things that we tend to do when we're onboarding clients is we ask them, when are you going to launch on Kickstarter or when are you planning on launching? You know, what, around what time? A lot of people now are telling us like October or, you know, something like that. It's like, okay, so October, what, what Tuesday in October would be like the latest, you know, and we look and it's like, okay, if you want to run a 30 day campaign, um, I'm actually going to do this, this real quick. So um, we have Thanksgiving week is happening. Thanksgiving is always the fourth Thursday in November, which means that week is when people's brains change. They, they or rather their buying habits change from things that they can get nine months from now uh, to things they can get two days from now because it's Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and really the whole holiday shopping season for Christmas is, is huge. So I look and I say, okay, the 21st, is when people's buying pattern, 21st of November, 2022 is when people's buying pattern is going to change because that is the start of Black Friday week or Thanksgiving week, which means to me, uh, any client of ours, we would want ideally their campaign to end by November 18th, which is a Friday, the Friday before that customer buying pattern changes. So that would mean if we were 30 days, let's see, I would say your early, the, the latest that you would want to go to Kickstarter with a 30-day campaign is October 18th, which is a Tuesday. So we, we look at like the, you know, the, the trend and it's like, okay, buying patterns are going to change, right? And they want a 30-day campaign. They, they're looking to launch in October. So it's okay. The 18th is the, like the latest day. Or you could do the 25th, but you're not going to run a 30-day campaign unless you want to run into that, you know, your final 48 hours being on Thanksgiving and Black Friday when nobody's going to buy your stuff, when they're going to buy, uh, you know, the TVs at Best Buy or whatever. Um, or, you know, for me, like the, the new NVIDIA chipset. So that's where we start. And then I say, okay, we launch on the 18th. We, we generally want to, we advocate for about two months worth of marketing, two to three months, really of marketing on, on Facebook. So we do Facebook ads for two to three months, really depending on partially depending on budget, sometimes depending on the, the, the grandiose nature of the game. Others depend on the, uh, let's say how involved the creator can be, you know, bigger companies are not going to be able to have as long of a runtime before they launch on Kickstarter because they're, you know, things just work differently when you're super uh, well-established publisher. You, it's like, six weeks notice is like a lot of notice for a new game. So anyway, let's just say like for a, for a small publisher, we're going back another two months. So October 18th is when you launch. Then you go back from, you know, September, you know, August. So it should be around, it looks like the 16th of August would give us about two months. Maybe it's like the 18th of August, I don't know. Um, about two months of runtime and, you know, for, for Facebook ads. So what do you need in order to run Facebook ads effectively? You need a landing page and you need to have your, your community. Everything needs to be established there. Let's, let's add another month for that. So that would be your, you know, mid July. Um, so if you wanted to have a really effective uh, marketing campaign 
that would see your your Kickstarter that launched on October 18th or you know sometime in October fund on the first day, you should begin working with a marketing company by like the end of July. So you know, for us in particular, I don't know how other marketing companies uh, do it, but we would build your landing page and we would make sure that your communities were all figured out and that you know, very importantly, like Richard said, you want to make sure that the game is developed enough. Right. Or is that Sean? Sean, you said that. Yeah, I said that. That's Sean. Yeah. So I'll take that though. Thanks. Thanks, Sean. (laughs) You said smart stuff too, Rick. But uh, so, yeah, you want to make sure that your game is developed enough where it's at a point that you can really show it off. You want to make sure. Now, there are a lot of other things that you can do in the time that I just kind of reverse engineered. So if you work with us, you would work uh, by the end of July, you would need to get started in order to. You know, or maybe like very beginning of August, if you were being uh, leaving things to like the last possible moments, you want to make sure that you give a month for landing page and all of that, even though it can theoretically be done in a week. Um, just depends on. Just on that. that. Yeah. <laughs> in theory, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah, and, um, and you know, of course, you made this is a really good. I really like this example because you also brought on the point of you know, after, after Black Friday or after Thanksgiving. Yeah. Not, not only do people's, like you were saying that, you know, people want things now and they're also, their, their mindset changes. They're no longer being selfish and buying from themselves. They now have to think and buy for others. So usually, you know, you don't usually, you don't see people going on a Kickstarter for someone else unless they really, really know someone else will want something that's coming out of Kickstarter. Right. And even still, you know, like what if it's not delivered on time, you know, there you go. Right? Yeah. And then, of course, you know, after Christmas, you get the uh, the the younger generations will have their money increase, but then the older generations won't get theirs back until like February or when they get their taxes March, back. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, it just brings up another good point: is is what age range are you catering to, and then where are their funds when you want to promote this game? <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a that's a huge point. Um, you know, the 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 buying patterns of various demographics are you know, it definitely something you want to pay attention to. And of course there are always outliers, you know, um, like for example, Awaken Realms used to own the month of December. They would launch a project and make, you know, several million dollars with it. And they would do that in the middle of like, in theory, the worst time to do it, which is December. They would have people paying 400 bucks for, you know, an all in of something. And those were war gamers, you know, war gamers or, or Christmas you know, gift to myself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I couldn't have said it better. So yeah, so that's kind of what we do now. Um, other tasks that you may have in the middle of of that. Let's say, okay, you contract out with us as a marketing company on time, and you're, you know, mid July, late July, you start working with us. Well, there are other things that you need to have in place for that Kickstarter day, right? Kickstarter, you know, as we talked about, you're launching on October 18th, which is a Tuesday. That is like the very latest day. So maybe you kind of plan for the 4th or the 11th. And then if you don't have the the super important asset from the graphic artist for your Kickstarter page, then you can kind of push back to the 18th. But you, you know, you've got, that's like the latest day that you can do it. So, you know, you've got your Kickstarter video, you know, you work with David Diaz over at Mesa Game Lab. That takes like two months. So you need to get him started around, I guess, August. Then you have um, your graphic artist, which does, um, you know, which is going to design your Kickstarter page. And for me, that's Chip Cole at chipthedesigner.com. That um, would be the person that would, um, 
you know, he needs to get started and he needs assets and art and other things like that to get started. He, thankfully he's an illustrator, but you know, many graphic artists that can do great Kickstarter pages don't have illustration skill. Um, they just know how to lay things out really nicely and use text and other things. Right. So you would need to get that person started, you know, at least a month before. So like September, um, but everything kind of hits at the same time, October 18th. That's when it all needs to be ready in the page and ready to go. Now, super duper importantly, as I Sean referenced earlier, again, I'll go back to the game development. If your game is not developed enough, you might be able to trick people with like a really clever, like a really well done Kickstarter page, um, a great looking demo, uh, some reviewer quotes that are, that are solid, but you know, in the end, I mean, there are some games, I, I don't know why Arcadia quest is coming to mind as a game that, that was, that looked really good, raised like $1.2 million. And this is just from memory. I could be wrong about the name, but, and they found that the game was underwhelming when people actually got to play it and they redesigned a lot of their mechanics and, and that kind of thing so that people would like it. And they basically went bankrupt because they took too much time after they funded their Kickstarter. You know, one of the unfortunate projects that just didn't work out. That's something that can really happen. And I actually had that, uh, you know, we, we weren't in a situation where I was relying on deliverance for, income or anything like that. You know, we made $300,000 and, and, uh, you know, are in the middle of working on delivering. Well, I, I had an, a, a major unforeseen delay, which was moving basically took four months out of the, or added four months to the timeline that I didn't expect and any kind of development, you know, I mean, it would have been nice if we had all of our campaign missions done and that kind of thing. I mean, it would have been really great. I, I just didn't really have the option to wait any longer. Because, you know, my wife was uh, nine months pregnant by the time we we finished our Kickstarter campaign. And I did not want to have a baby and a Kickstarter at the same time. You know, I, I needed a launch, right? But, you know, the more that I had done, I mean, we had playtested the game thousands of times. People really, really liked it. We had a hardcore audience. They were they were really excited. They, they knew the game was good. And we had it up on Tabletop Simulator and so on and so forth. But... All, all of that had to, had to hit on the day we launched, which was June 8th, uh, 2021. So the critical path, you know, always collapses back down to like the moment of Kickstarter launch. And then it expands back up again after your Kickstarter campaign. It's like, all right, we can do game development. We can finish tightening up the little, little you know, making balance changes or, or whatever, uh, finishing art and that kind of thing. But Eventually, you need to get into the manufacturing stuff, and your critical path is basically you have to make it, then you have to ship it, then you have to like deliver it, you know, ship it across the ocean, and then you have to deliver it to your backer. So those critical path elements each have things that you can reverse engineer. So you know, for me, I originally I wanted to deliver over the summer, so August was my estimated delivery time. I thought. I could do this by August and uh, maybe I could have, if I, if I didn't move, but um, the idea was like, okay, August is the delivery time. It's going to take me, you know, two months to get everybody's stuff shipped to them, like the last mile shipping. And then all the, you know, people missing their packages or whatever, uh, maybe damage uh, in transit, you know, and I need to send it another box or whatever. 
then, you know, it would uh, like, okay, what's before that? Well, the fulfillment center needs to get it. And that's going to take about a month for the fulfillment center or maybe two months for the fulfillment center to like figure its stuff out. And then it's going to be on a boat right before that, which is going to be right now. It's like, it used to be one, but now it's like, or it used to be six weeks, but now it's like, you know, 12 weeks or three months for that. And then, you know, uh, before that we've got manufacturing, which is like roughly two months of time. And then before that, we've got, you know, getting the files ready for the, the manufacturer and that could be, you know, your miniatures and all of that. And, and that's kind of how you reverse engineer and figure out what your critical path is. And with that said, I think that's all the time we have for this week's episode of crowdfunding nerds. And if you have no followers of your exciting new Kickstarter game, you want to launch, go to crowdfundingnerds.com and join us, join our party, join our team. Cause we'll, we'll be your fans if no one else yeah. will. And then we'll tell you how good or, not so good your game is and maybe how to get some fans because we all want to <laughs> find some fans and of course there's some really great amazing people at our facebook group crowdfunding nerds community just do a search for that always great questions popping up i know i briefly said it during this podcast but we had one person who was asking about you know alternatives or what they can do without having have having using a pledge manager so you know things like that you know that's interesting topics um so we have all those available we got questions like that and answers you can feel free to jump in and ask some questions and you know provide your own feedback it's a great little community even once in a while i do a magical pop-up and i say really stupid things but they're they're there and i do come in and see it every once in a while uh, <laughs> and we have some great moderators that are all the time that will take care of you peace out have a great time stay nerdy and we'll see you next week 